Well, welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Real Leaders. And I have with me today Bishop Michael Pitts from Cornerstone. He's an author. He's a, a prolific communicator. And he's written some books that I think are so fitting in the times that we're in, books such as Power Shifters. And I believe your latest one was Fault Lines. Is that correct? And we find ourselves kind of on a fault line. So who better else to have than you on the line? How are you doing, Bishop? Man, it's so good to talk to you guys. And yeah, the last book was called Fault Lines. The subtitle, interestingly enough, was called Things That Shake You Don't Have to Break You. And um, I think that uh, when I first released the book, one of the first book signings and communications I did was there at In the Light with you guys. And uh, just want to say we love you guys. We love Philadelphia. We love the church. We love what you're doing. And uh, God bless you. Thank you for uh, giving me a moment to talk with you guys today. Yeah, I think this would be so good because you have been talking for a little bit about some of these things I'm going to be uh, asking you about today. I think some other people just need to hear about this and get your thoughts. You're, you're a leader of leaders. And I think it's always important that we have the right voices being amplified in seasons, especially like this. And it's almost like you're built for times like this. And we'll get into that in a minute. But I want to first talk to you about how strange does it feel for you on Sundays? And, and let me just set it up a little bit. You know, I, I, I see um, my, our setting is we might have a few people there, but they're pretty much working the equipment. And after I'm done, I don't know how it is for you, but after I'm done ministering and praying and then, you know, kind of like saying goodbye till next week, then it's like all the equipment starts to shut down and it's like anticlimactic. And for churches like ours, I just imagine that we need those atmospheres where we can begin to create with the congregation what the Spirit of God is doing. And so what's it been like for you just to be in that setting? Has it been strange or surreal like it's been for me? Yeah, so there are two songs that come to my mind. Um, I hope I don't offend anyone. These are not like super spiritual songs. Uh, the first one is, it's a whole new world. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. And the other one is uh, Lionel Richie saying, uh, it's easy like Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, to me, Sunday morning <clears throat> for many years has never been, you know, easy in the sense of like just coasting. And um, for us not to be in always a physical building, looking at the people that we care about, hugging the people that we care about, seeing their facial expressions, um, being able to emote with them. Um, is a whole new world. And so this last week, um, our son-in-law, Phil, and he, uh, he and Meredith are leading our campuses here. And so he was on the calendar to preach. So uh, Kathy and I uh, took the grandbabies, brought them over here. So we didn't actually even go to the physical building on a Sunday morning for the first time. And I don't know how long. And so it was kind of like easy, like Sunday morning. That's a whole new thinking. Oh so I, I think all pastors um, who care about their people miss as much as the members do uh, missing your face or being in the same room with you. Um, it is a new normal for all of us. It makes us value our times together, but many pastors are dealing with um, the feelings of how do we communicate to people that we want them to know that we love them we're not absent. We're not, 
we're not quitting, we're not out of the equation, we just have a new normal at the moment. Our message is the same, but the delivery system is different. Yeah, and you were saying something, I got to tune in, I think, to one of your first services where you were recording on stage, and you were a little discombobulated, like I think so many other people, as to what day of the week it is after Sunday. It's kind of like, because Sunday was so different, it feels like something was off. So how do we measure our week now that we don't really, or we're still adjusting to maybe measuring on Sunday? Uh, And yeah, how should we be feeling about this? It's amazing with everyone because um, our calendar so affects the way that our routine moves. And, you know, if, if Monday night is laundry night and Tuesday night is basketball practice, Wednesday afternoon at three is soccer practice and Friday is this and then Sunday is church. And then all of that is kind of taken from you. The term is a social disruptance. Yeah. That our, our social movements are being disruptive and, and disrupted. And so that makes us um, sometimes wonder, okay, what day is it today? And mm-hmm. what am I supposed to be doing? And uh, that's kind of a, a wake up call in a good way. It is disruptive, but it makes us think like, how much of my time has been allotted for things that are ancillary, things that are non-essential, things that are not the main thing. And um, that is disruptive for pastors. Um, when your offices are closed, when you're not looking at your people, when you're not um, able to touch or pray for or make an altar call physically, right? Uh, those things can be disruptive, but I think they're probably uh, learning experiences in that as well. So what do you, what do you think about this? Because I was talking to my wife a little bit about how do we begin to measure our effectiveness and how we're making a difference with all this social distancing and this normal, this new normal that we're in now. Um, have you given that some thought and how would you, how do we go about measuring us making a difference and being effective in times like this? Yeah, I have thought about it. And um, it's one of the reasons I love talking to you. You have great questions and, uh, and provoking questions, but, but that's, that's the point. How do we measure our effectiveness? because it is possible to be in a room full of people. I mean, in the light church is a great place to be. I love the environment, the atmosphere, the participation of the people, all of that. All of us love those kind of churches and services. Um, But that could be not an appropriate evaluation of our effectiveness, Mm -hmm. because it is possible to leave a happy service and still be dealing with tough situations. So now we're asking ourselves, if I don't have that particular dynamic, I don't have uh, control, um, influence over the atmosphere from which everyone is listening to me, how do I know if I'm being effective? One is, are the people that I have taught applying what I tried to teach them? Two, are people still connected with me? Um, based on what I'm teaching them and telling them and what God has given us over the exciting environment of everyone being in the same room. And what I want to say about that, if I can, is that in tough times, um, people follow solid leadership and great leadership is solid. It's stable. It's not theatrics. It's not all the 
the, you know, the dynamic parts that we associate with our service because people need to know through great leaders that you are thoughtful, you're wise, you're strategic, you're planning, you're purposeful, and they can trust you. And that goes a lot further in times of crisis than uh, a lot of room noise and just clapping of hands. And I don't want to diminish that, but clapping of hands and, and the, the excitement of a local gathering. But um, great leaders are people who people can trust during these kind of times. Yeah, I think uh, part of what I see happening this time is it's exposing a lot. And part of that is, have we been effective? Have we been making a difference? What have we been doing? And this time that kind of um, causes us to be limited in some areas, causes us to evaluate other areas that might have not gotten the same attention. So I think it's good that, you know, this time is happening, although it's, it's tragic, but there's a, there's a part of it that I think we can really learn and grow from. So in thinking about the, the times that we're in, there might be some people not really built for these times. Um, when I look at you and I think about the materials that you've put out, I'm like, man, he's kind of built for times like this. And there's other people who are built for times like this. Some people are built for times of peace. You know, I, I, I thought I heard at one point that the, 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 the native people would have a chief when it was time for peace, because he was great for the times of peace, but then there would be another chief when it was time to go into war because that chief knew how to work with that type of situation. And so the, these are this situation where it's very disruptive um, and people might not be built for times like this. What would you say, who are the people who are built for times like this when it comes to this time of dis disruption? Um, I, th I think that it's kind of like uh, the way a nation develops. You have pioneers hmm. and you have settlers. Mm -hmm. And so pioneers always want to clear a path and, and they, and they clear it, but then somebody has to turn what they opened up into a community. And that's what settlers are for. And then the pioneers go on and clear a new path while cities are being built. So I agree with you that there, there are different skill sets and in the kingdom, we would call those different giftings and anointings. Mm -hmm. uh, people that are built for this, I think have a history and, um, because when we talk about proven leaders, you have to be able to endure hardness. You have to be able to stand up under pressure. You have to be able to see on the other side of a storm and to be able to kind of rise to the occasion. Um, that is not the same skill set as the people that we need to pull us together on the other side of this, which are people that know how to comfort, right. to guide, to pastor, mm -hmm. to disciple, and, and to help people get through what could be seriously uh, a PTSD of mm -hmm. these kind of circumstances. There, there are people, once the virus is over, there will be months potentially of people recovering right. from what this did to them. And uh, that may not be my skill set, but it will be somebody else's. Yeah, you, I think about faith and maybe even levels of faith that there might be a, a, a faith component, a level of faith that someone needs to have in this season that might be a different type of level of faith if it wasn't this kind of dynamic that we were working with. No, absolutely, because, because faith, faith is elastic and faith is a muscle. 
um, I don't need mountain moving faith every day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I need get through faith. Sometimes I need, I'm living by faith. My faith is always there, but my faith is elastic that if you push on it, then it stands up and pushes back. Mm. So when we talk about faith as a muscle, if I can use that terminology, um, it's, it's moments like these that all the bumper stickers, all the stuff you hang on your refrigerator, <laughs> all the t-shirts that we wear. Okay, so now we need some of that to work. Okay, so, um, so now that faith muscle has to grow and it ultimately makes us stronger. Muscles grow by um, being worked on or in pressure, um, food mm -hmm. and rest. Mm. And um, when you don't have those components, then you don't get stronger. And so now we're, we're in the season of pushing a bit. The season of rest will come, but it's also based on what we're eating. Um, I, I, I want to be paying attention <clears throat> to what's happening uh, on the news and to be aware of statistics and information. Um, but I cannot live on a 24-7 news cycle. Mm -mm. I can't live on that. And um, I need to know, I need to be aware, but I need to hear and to feed on what God is saying. And that makes me stronger. And then I have to have a little bit of rest. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm not going to pay attention to this maybe, you know, for a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Have you found yourself that you were saying something before this all has happened, right? You were preaching, you were ministering to the church, to the body, and probably felt like there were some things that were really essential and necessary for the body to get at this point. And, and now that we're in where we're at, it's not like you want to say, I told you so, uh, or maybe you almost got the sense where people were feeling like, man, was I just crying wolf? Did they think I was just a boy crying wolf? And now that the wolf is here, they realize it wasn't just an illusion I was talking about. So I'm just curious as you were saying something almost prophetically preparing a per people for the moment that we're in now. Uh, have you thought about that or is that something that has happened? Yes, I have. And, um, and I think the same thing. I don't want to be, I told you so, um, because that's, that's not helpful. Right. Um, but Noah told everybody he was building an ark for how long. And then once the door shut and the rain started falling, they were like, oh, but so some things can be a little bit late um, because, I mean, years ago, I wrote a book called Don't Curse Your Crisis, mm -hmm. which is kind of uh, interesting for, for now. Um, but I also had a little bit of time in the last year that I felt this stirring and I tried to, in the best way I know how, probably inartfully and, and not as well as so many others would do, explain to our congregation that there were people and families in my heart because I felt like our gatherings and the things of God were becoming optional on mm. Sundays. So Sundays became, well, we might go to church, we might go to brunch, as if those two were diametrically opposed. Um, we might go play, we might go to the beach, we might go to the hills, uh, we might go to soccer. Hey, we'll see you in three weeks. We got four events. All of these things that almost put it like on an equal playing field. And what happened to me was I started looking into the future and trying to say to families, 
there is a season coming that you're going to reap the, what, what you're putting into, I don't want to say reap what you sow, like a negative kind of thing, but, but you are laying the foundation because if you don't put the things of God first, if we don't value that, and I didn't know what was coming. I'm certainly not that kind of a prophet where I'm, I'm that deep, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing day by day right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it made me concerned that I watched families uh, trying to pay off an existential debt, making them feel like they were good parents because they were running five and six days a week, taking three and four kids and spending all of their money trying to make it seem like you're good parents. And now when, when all of that stuff gets shut down hmm. and now you're at the house with those same kids, now they're looking at them realizing they don't have a real relationship with God. They don't have a real relationship as a family. They don't have um, a put God first mentality. And so now here we are, here we are. I so believe God is redemptive that this moment gives us the opportunity to redeem those moments and reposition our families, have family meals, family Bible studies, I don't know. You don't have to be deep. Watch family cartoons. I don't know what you need to do, but to talk about God and to reconnect as, as people. So that's probably a longer answer than I should have given you, but that's my thinking on it. Oh no. I mean, we talked about a little bit how, how inconvenient this time has been, but even how maybe just for the church and, and people, I don't know, maybe some places and other places, but really have been treating Christianity and our faith as a convenience. As long as it was convenient, we can roll with it. But once it became inconvenient, then we sort of, you know, we'll stiff arm it. And I said, isn't it interesting that the government is recognizing the church as essential? And I don't know if we as a people have always treated church or thought of it as essential as some of these other services that are out there. Yeah. And, and the little pivot that I will make here, because I kind of pushed that last ball into the court of our members, but I think also as well as leaders, not only have our members taken uh, the attendance of their leaders and the service of their church as uh, something to be, oh, it's always going to be there. Right. Take it for granted. I think that also leaders are realizing I should not take our members and our church family for granted because they're not always there either. Right. I think God is pushing us all together. Um, I do agree with um, the the vocabulary is interesting in today's world because many pastors in some communities are taking it uh, under offense because they're not considered in their communities as an essential (laughs) thing. And then others are saying we are essential And that's a vocabulary thing. I don't think anyone else can define my value, our church's value, or my call into a community other than myself and God. If I don't see myself as a part of the fabric of our community, and I don't see myself as essential, then no one else will see me as essential. Right. At the end of the day, families that are struggling, people that are dealing with life, people that are dealing with death, people that are dealing with trouble and tragedy, um, they are not impressed with my greatest sermon. What they need to know 
is that I'm essential into this community. I have something to say here. And we, we are here on call and on an assignment. And if we can see ourselves that way and know that God's hand is on us to do that, then our value goes up. That's good. That's why my prayer has been not that we are just seeing ourselves as essential or that label being put on us or not on us, but that we would actually be a people that would be distinguished during this time. If we can be set apart and distinguished, I think that's a better vocabulary or better identification of what we are than just essential. I, so, think, I know you have another question. So all of us should think about this, that there is life after the virus. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what position are we going to be in when that is over in your community, with your church, with your family, all of these people, because the, the decisions and the, the, the way that we comport ourselves the way that we communicate now determines where we're going to be then. Mm. So you have numbers of people that are unauthorized and silly and they make off the cuff statements. They don't think it through and um, they're saying things and doing things, whatever that is putting them in a position that they will never be taken seriously potentially again. Wow. And so I think that um, our uh, the, for members of a church, their non-believing families are paying attention to what we do. They're paying attention to how their leaders are leading. Our community leaders are doing the same. People in our communities are doing the same. And uh, it is a great, you know, Joseph rose to a position of the highest leadership during the time of the greatest famine in Egypt. That's right. Because of how he acted and carried on during times of crisis. Wow. I, I mean, one of the things I've been telling our, our leaders is, you know, because a lot of the exchange has been, hey, we just want you to be updated with this communication and this information, things like that. But I found myself just this last week saying, you know what, we've been going back and forth. I've been giving you a lot of information just to keep you abreast of what's happening. But I want to say this in this quick communication, and that is, I miss you guys. I right. miss being there with you. I right. miss us hanging out. I, must, I miss us just being there. And that's it. No more information besides the fact that I just miss you guys. Sure. But I, I've been hearing this verse and hearing it differently and reading it differently. All of us have quoted it <laughs> a million times. I was glad when they said unto me, let mm -hmm. us go to the house of the Lord. How many times have we quoted that and said that? But I'm hearing it differently, reading it differently, because I'm thinking like, man, when all this is over, whatever time frame, <laughs> whenever it is, I am so I will be so glad when I can go to the house of the Lord and see people whose faces I miss, whose um, children we baptized, right. whose weddings were performed, who we walk through with tough times. They walk with me through tough times. I will be so glad to see their faces again. And uh, it's gonna be a it's it's gonna be a Holy Ghost party. Party, yes. When, whenever that day is. Yes. Well, here's my last question here, and take your time with it. But what if besides the things that you already mentioned, what else is this disruption or disruptive time? I believe everybody think, you know, would 
would agree that there is a lot of that's been disruptive. What has this revealed? Maybe in churches and people, maybe in America. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, a couple things. One thing that it reveals is that sometimes people have resisted change. This is not a criticism. It's an observation that too many of our churches resisted um, technology, hmm. um, had things to say about online churches. Um, we're talking about, hey, maybe we should catch up to date with the technological generation. They've been talking about that for five or seven years, and now they're trying to play catch up. So it's revealing that, that we cannot afford to always be five or 10 years behind. So it's revealing that a bit. Um, it's also revealing those who were in are hanging in there. Those who were kind of there but out are finding reasons to be out. Hmm. And then as a, um, if I can talk to pastors and leaders or whoever all is uh, listening to us, um, transparently what it's what it's doing for me is i'm working on moving from self-reliance to god's dependence because i'm the kind of guy as you said built for a storm when something happens i want to jump up and start doing something then i started realizing that the three things if if i don't understand it if i can't control it and i can't fix it what do i do I am not in charge of this situation. <laughs> I don't totally understand this situation. And I'm pretty sure I can't fix this situation. Well, then all of a sudden that moves me to a place that God has been talking to me about anyway. I just didn't wow. want to really hear about it. I didn't want to listen to it, which is um, how about just relying on me? How about trusting in me and depending on me? It doesn't mean inactivity. It means my nature is to jump up and do something and then say to God, this is what I did. Can you help that work? Rather than slowing down and saying, what is it that you want me to do? What are you saying to me? How can I best serve? That's my takeaway. That's great. It's kind of like coming into that place of, being reintroduced to his sovereignty yeah and allowing him just to be lord again yeah. you know and in, in, in our situation because we often partner with him and what he's doing but then when it's almost like what do we have to offer to this moment right besides what we normally do and how we you know call audibles how about we don't do that this time yeah and do something different yeah but you know what man i i so um thank god for um for you guys, you and your wife, your, your family, and the way that you model and are authentic in the way that you present the gospel. And, um, you know, it's not a commercial or anything like that, but I love In the Light Church. I love what you guys are doing there. And um, you guys are a part of like the emerging churches. And in some ways, I know you've been around for a little bit, but this is like being thrown into the deep end. Oh. Our generation has never seen this, this right here. Okay. Right. We want a national shutdown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Everything is shut down. And I think about how events formulate collective consciousness and culture. 
people that came through the Great Depression had a different worldview than the than the 1980s kids, the boomers and the and the Xers. And people that walked through the, the height of the civil rights movement in the 60s have a different worldview than than those who are born today, the Zers and the Wires. Um, this is a defining moment. This is a situation that will shape the collective consciousness and value system of our day. Wow. And we need to grab a hold of that and realize when people tell me, I can't wait till things get back to normal. If we go back to normal, we haven't been paying attention. Mm. Our, our normal is going to be new. I don't know what it looks like, but there's a new normal coming. Wow. And it's almost like with that, that kind of mystery that we're, we're ending this time, but I would like to say to you, Bishop, I mean, what you bring and what you offer in terms of your voice to other leaders is something that we at In The Light and I'm sure other places are really looking to lean into during this time. And as young leaders that are leading, it would be detrimental if we were just to work things out and get into the hustle of trying to bring things about versus looking and look, looking to serve and hear from the generations that have gone before us. And so the words that you shared and the perspective that you have and the humility that you carry is something that also we're going to carry with us into this new normal. And so I think it's, it's the interviews like this, uh, I pray go a long way that people will be able to hear it and glean from it and maybe model something for this new normal you're talking about. Well, I'm so very happy and honored to be with you and, and, and to have those words. And thank you. Every generation has its own crises its defining moments and its own famine. Um, the Bible said, uh, I don't know, I, Genesis 26, I think maybe, I don't have my Bible in front of me, that there was a famine in the land. This was Isaac, not, in the, not the same famine that was in the days of Abraham. And then Isaac redug the wells of his father. Right. So every generation has their own famine. Abraham had a famine, Isaac has a famine, Jay, Every generation has their own situations, but hopefully, prayerfully, intentionally, what the generation that preceded them did gives them something to redig and to gain from previous experiences. And um, if I could help anyone take some years, tears, and fears out of their journeys, it's always my, my blessing to do so. And I'm honored that you would consider me uh, to be able to say something about that. Hey, exactly that. This is exactly what that's doing. So again, so blessed to have you with us. And I pray that somebody got something from this. And I just entitled this time, Real Talk with Real Leaders. And thank you for sharing with this time. Bless you, Bishop. Love you guys. And let's talk again soon, okay?